changing eternity. Have you ever thought about eternity? No, come on. Have you ever, have you ever just stopped in the middle of all the madness of life and thought about eternity? Every once in a while, I begin to try to wrap my brain around eternity. I begin to try to think about what is eternity really like. I mean, I, I, I only understand a linear living, and yet eternity has no beginning and has no end. You know, I, I kind of feel like the guy on Toy Story, to infinity, come on, and beyond. Sometimes it's kind of like that, isn't it? It's like, I, I don't know where we're going to infinity and even beyond that. It's, it's moving into a place that, that I don't comprehend, I don't understand. And yet, when you begin to study the Scripture, what you find is, is that God has called each and every one of us to literally change eternity. I mean, what, what an audacious statement to say that you have the ability to change eternity. This finite creation of God, this, this one who was made out of the dust of the earth. I, I don't want to mess your world up today, but you're nothing more than a glorified mud ball. I mean, God created us out of the dust of the earth, breathed life into us, but then the Bible says man became a living soul. And he gave us the ability to really make a difference in the world. It's, it's not about just going through life and, and accruing the things to our, ourself and, and having all the, you know, the goodies and the toys and all that we can have. It genuinely is about changing eternity. So how do we do that? Well, heaven had a perspective of how to do that, and that's what I want to talk about today. I want to talk about heaven's perspective and how to change eternity. Take your Bibles, if you wouldn't, go to the book of John, the 12th chapter. As you're turning there, let me greet the campuses this morning. We're glad you're with us today. We're believing that as the Word of God comes to you, that you are going to be transformed, you're going to be changed by the renewing of your mind, by the washing of the Word of God, and that God is going to perform a great work in your life as well as here today. The book of John, the 12th chapter, uh, beginning in verse number 44, says this, and I'm reading out of the New Living Translation. It'll probably read a little differently than yours. Uh, and I, I'm reading out this translation because I like the way it says it. It says, Jesus shouted to the crowds. He didn't whisper it. He didn't say, hey, guys, you, got, you, got, you want to listen? No, the Bible says he shouted to the crowds. If you trust me, you are trusting not only me, but also God who sent me. For when you see me, you are seeing the one who sent me. I have come as a light to shine in this dark world so that all who put their trust in me will no longer remain in the dark. Jesus said, look, I've come for one purpose and one reason, and that is to dispel darkness. I've come to, to rid your life, to rid your world of darkness. Now, I don't know how many of you have noticed, but we live in a pretty dark world. We, we live in a time and in a world that's pretty messed up. And a lot of times that messed up world has a tendency uh, to even come into our lives individually and, and to bring darkness there. And yet the scripture says, Jesus said, I have come that you might have life and that you might have it more abundantly. Now, I want to tell you something. I've been around Christians pretty much all my life. And the one thing that I would have to say to you is that, that most Christians that I know don't have abundant life. They have life. They're still breathing. You know, their heart's still moving. 
we think. But they really are not excited about life. Listen, I want to tell you something. Jesus Christ, when he came to this earth, he was fun to hang out with. Boy, I know that goes over well with religious folks. Because, see, religion is all about stuffiness. Religion is all about rules and regulations and what you can do and where you can't go and what you can say and what you can't say. It's all about that stuff. But Jesus said, I didn't come to bring those kind of things to you. He said, I came to bring you abundant life. He said, I came to bring a relationship to you. And, and, and so as, as we begin to look at this, how do we go about changing eternity? If heaven's perspective in changing eternity was to send Jesus robed in flesh, how, how did that play out? Did, did it play out in a military sense? Well, you know, when we read Scripture, we find out uh, that Jesus never marshaled an army, did he? He, he didn't go out. In fact, uh, one day he looked at his guys and all 12 of them, he said, how many swords we got to go? We got two. How I many of you know you can't do much with two swords and 12 guys who are afraid of their own shadow? You know, the only one that's got guts to pull it's Peter, and then he just cuts off somebody's ear. Jesus has to take care of that mess. And, and so a lot of times in society we're, we're looking for a military solution, but I want to tell you, a, a military solution won't change eternity. The one thing that I see in America, and it's interesting to me when you read Scripture, you realize that when you're reading Scripture that Jesus is living under one of the most oppressive political systems that there had ever been. I mean, when, when you study the Roman Empire, you, you, you look at America, and America is heaven on earth compared to the Roman Empire. I mean, you, you don't even, can't even wrap your mind around the, the horribleness of that system. And yet what I find, and I'm going to get in trouble in the very beginning of this sermon today, but so be it. What I find in America is, is that we think if we get the right person in the White House, oh, help me. Listen, I don't care if it's a Democrat or a Republican or an Independent or a Communist. They're not going to change eternity. What if we can just change the Senate? If we can just change the Congress? L listen, you can do all of that, and none of that is going to change eternity. Jesus did not come to address political systems. Let me give you another word. Jesus is not a Republican nor a Democrat. He's an independent. Huh. And so political systems was what he came to do. It sure wasn't a financial system. One time they came to him and said, Lord, we want to go home with you. And he said, I don't even have money to buy a hotel room tonight. He had a guy that was keeping his books, and the whole time that he was keeping the treasury, the Scripture said he was stealing from him. So we know Jesus wasn't involved in the financial. What, what was Jesus' mission? What, when he came, what did he do? The Bible says he came to overcome the darkness. Jesus came for one purpose, and that was to change eternity. And that he has given us the same mission. You and I have been given the mission to change eternity. That's the only purpose of why you're still here. So how do we go about, as, as we look at this today, how do we go about truly changing eternity? Look in the 13th chapter. We're just going to continue in the same book of John there. John 13, beginning in verse 12. It says, After washing their feet, he put on his robe again and sat down and asked, Do you understand what I was doing? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, because that's what I am. 
And since I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you ought to wash each other's feet. I have given you an example to follow. Do as I have done to you. Now we read that scripture, and that's really kind of a funky scripture. I mean, what would you have thought this morning if we came in and said, hey, we want you to wash everybody's feet? Now again, don't look religious. I know you read the book, but pretend you haven't. And we're standing there with a basin and a towel and said, everybody that comes through today, we want you to wash their feet. I, I, I dare say some of you would be looking for another church to go to. And I heard of the church down the road, they don't make you do that. But what we need to understand today is, is the whole setting of what's going on here. And in that society, understand, they, they didn't have nice cars to ride in. Most of the people of that day and time uh, walked everywhere they went. And at the very best, they had sandals, and most of them didn't have any shoes. And so they're walking on dirty, muddy roads. Uh, and, and understand that these roads that they're walking on, the donkey just walked on, and the horse just walked on, and the cow just walked on. And do I need to explain that to you? And so they've walked through God only knows what. And so when you would get to someone's house, the first thing that would happen at that house is, is that the lowliest servant that was employed by these people would be the one who would meet you at the door, and they would have a basin of water, and they would wash your feet and get all the dust and the dirt and everything else off your feet. Now Jesus has told his disciples, listen, we are going to go celebrate Passover we're going to celebrate the meal together. And they start coming in, and, and they're looking around for the servant. They're looking around for the person uh, with the towel. They're looking around for the person who's being paid to do it. But guess what? He didn't show up that day. He didn't come that day in the house. He wasn't there. And so when, when they begin to look around, nobody's willing to wash the other one's feet. I mean, can, can you imagine... Peter washing the feet of anybody but himself. I mean, it's just, it's not, it, right? It's not going to happen, is it? It's just not going to take place. Can, can you imagine John and, and what's going on in his heart? What's, what's going on in, in all the disciples that day? They're looking at one another and going, I wish they'd wash my feet. But none of them are willing to do it. And yet Jesus walks in. What does Jesus do? He looks around. He probably just sniffed. Come on, work with me. He probably just goes, wow, these guys are dirty. They're dirty birds. I mean, they're every one of them. They're, 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 you know. and, and he goes over to the corner. The Bible says he took off his robe. He girded himself with a towel, and he began to wash their feet one by one. Can, can you imagine what that must have felt like? Can, can you imagine what that must have been like? To have the Messiah kneel down before you and start washing your feet. I, I mean, it's, it's, it's beyond my comprehension. And, and Jesus kind of gets through a few of them, and he gets to the apostle Peter, and, and Peter says, Lord, you're not going to wash my feet. My thought always has been, well, Peter, why didn't you get down and wash his feet? He just says, you're not going to wash my feet. And Jesus looks at him and said, Peter, if I don't wash your feet, you don't have any place in my kingdom. And Peter says, Lord, don't just wash my feet. Give me a bath. That's what he said. He said, wash my head, wash my hand, wash all of me, Lord. 
He said, he said I want to be in the kingdom. And so understand that the God of creation who has robed himself in flesh has now taken the time to kneel down before these guys and he has washed their feet and then he asked him, do you understand what I have done? You say, Pastor, you're preaching a series on changing eternity. What does washing dirty feet have to do with it? Everything. Everything. Because, see, there's something that has happened within the structure of the church. There's something that has happened in Western Christianity, and that is, is that we have forgotten what the kingdom of God is about. We think that the kingdom of God is about what we can get. We think that the kingdom of God is about another blessing. We think that the kingdom of God is about prosperity and all those things. And I want to tell you, the kingdom of God does bring all of those things. But that's not what the kingdom of God is about. The kingdom of God is exemplified. In fact, Jesus said it this way. He said, follow my example. He said, live like I've lived. Be a person who's willing to do that. And so I want to show you some things real quickly today out of this story. First of all, what you see today is, is that you see total humility in the life of Jesus. Jesus, who is the one who has spoken the worlds into existence, now kneels down and begins to wash their feet. Now, I want to tell you something about Jesus. The Bible says he was the fullness of the Godhead, that it bodily dwelt in him. So here's the deal. Jesus knew everything about them. He knows the anger that's in the Apostle Peter. He knows the cheating that's in Judas. He knows everything about all of them. He knows, you know, the, the sons of Zebedee and how they're always jockeying for position and sending mama to try to get them to get on one side and one on the other. And, and I don't know about you, but I just think at that moment when I knelt down before Judas, I think if I had been Jesus... That would have been a great time for a word of knowledge. Yea, I would say unto all of thee here today, Judas is a thief. Now, I'm kneeling. I'm, I'm humble about it. Come on. Jesus knew that for the last three and a half years, Judas had been stealing every time the money came in. What a great time to expose him. And yet Jesus, in humility, says not a word about his thievery says not a word about his embezzling doesn't say anything he gets in front of the apostle peter i think he ought to talk to pete about lying and cussing just like he ought to talk to some of us because he knows. In fact, he finally tells him a little bit later. He says, Peter, before the, the rooster crows in the morning, you're going to deny me three times. Not only was Peter going to deny him, Peter was going to start cussing too. Do y'all read the Bible? Or you just bring it to look holy? That's what it says. It says he starts swearing and cursing. And, I mean, if I'd been Jesus at that point, I'd say, Peter, you've got to clean up your mouth. Jesus is in total humility at that moment. I mean, he goes down the line. And every one of them, he knew their hang-ups. He knew their pride. He knew their arrogance. He knew their competitiveness with one another. He knew what it was like. And yet, he just continues in total humility 
to minister unto them. He doesn't say a word. I mean, think about it. Think about as Christians if we would live that way. I mean, we get stuff, we don't even know stuff, and we haven't even seen it. We just heard somebody who said they saw it. And we start calling people up. Did you hear about so-and-so? I heard that so-and-so said that what's-her-name saw him do something three weeks ago. Now, the only reason I'm calling you is because I want you to pray. Jesus hadn't heard it from somebody else who thought they might have seen something. Jesus knew, and yet he didn't expose a one of them. I'll give you a scripture that will mess with your whole world. The Bible says love covers a multitude of sin. Wow, that's a scary scripture, isn't it? And yet, when you begin to look at Jesus, Jesus is operating in total humility. What would happen to the church instead of us standing and screaming on street corners at people and telling them to get right or burn? What, what if in, instead of standing in front of an abortion clinic with your veins popping out of your neck, screaming at some poor little 15-year-old girl who is so messed up and so traumatized by what's happened in her life that she thinks the only answer is to abort a baby, and we're standing there as Christians screaming at her. And I'm against abortion, and I think it's wrong, but I think our approach has been wrong as well. Isn't it interesting who the news media portrays as Christians? I mean, have you seen this group? I don't, I don't even know where they're from. I shouldn't even give them publicity. But they're picketing when some of our young men and women have lost their life in combat. And they're standing and screaming things and holding up signs about God's judging America and God hates, and this is their term, hates fags and all this stuff that they put out there. And, and the news media films them and says, this is Christianity. I want to tell you, Jesus wouldn't show up there for love nor money. That's not Christianity. That's hatred veiled as Christianity. Jesus walked in humility. If we want to change eternity, we've got to learn to walk in humility. Not only was there total humility in Jesus, but there was total surrender of who he was. The book of Philippians said, although he was God, he was equal with God, that he did not take into account and he robed himself in flesh and he came and he dwelt among men and he experienced the death of the cross, and then it goes on, the book of Philippians goes on to say, and now God has given him a name that's above every name, that the name of Jesus every knee would bow and every tongue would confess. Why? Because he totally surrendered to the call of God. I mean, can, can you imagine? He, again, he is God incarnate, but he is, he is with 12 guys who are so messed up. I mean, we just see bits and pieces of it. But they're messed up. They're kind of like us. I know we dress it up good. I know we greet one another, hello, brother. How are you today? Oh, I am wonderful. God is so good. And then you go out to your car and you get that 
Apostle Peter anointing on you. Watch this. What Jesus did was release grace. The scripture says it this way, God resists the proud, but he gives grace to those who are in humility. Now, how many of you know that scripture also says that none of us are saved of works, lest any man should boast, but that we're saved by grace through faith. That not of ourselves, but it's a gift of God, right? Is it a possibility? Just think about this. If it is grace that saves people, is it a possibility that if we would walk in humility, that the grace of God would be so permeating our lives that we could walk into somebody's life who does not know Jesus Christ, but because God gives us grace, we dispense that to other people and they come to the knowledge of the Savior. What happened in Jesus' life all the time? You do realize that the Bible says sinners love to hang out with Jesus. When was the last time you hung out with a good heathen? You know, some of you have been saved so long you forgot what it was like. I mean, you need some good heathens in your life. You need some people in your life who don't know Sunday school words. You need people in your life who tell stuff and you just go, I can't believe they said that, especially in public. I mean, I go to restaurants sometimes with certain people, and I just go, what are they thinking? What are they saying? I mean, just, it's unbelievable. But, but if, if you'll understand that God's grace is released through our surrender. Lord, I surrender to you. The, the Word of God's quite clear that Jesus' purpose was to change eternity. In fact, the Scripture says it this way, before the foundation of the world, a lamb was slain. Before Jesus ever showed up, before God ever created this universe, Jesus' purpose was already outlined. That was Calvary. You know what Calvary does for all of us, saved and lost? It puts us all on the same level. Do you know what? I can't look down at somebody that doesn't know Jesus Christ just simply because I'm saved. Because I didn't do anything to get it. I wasn't good enough. I wasn't born in the right family. It wasn't the right circumstances. It was just the grace of God. It's, it's, it's so interesting. The Old Testament says, that when you get ready to build an altar, don't put steps to it. And, and there's a couple of reasons for that, and Scripture alludes to this. And, and, and one of them is, and again, I don't want to go too far here, but, but one of them is, is because in that day everybody wore robes, and uh, if you build the steps and everybody's down here and you go up, you're going to see things you don't need to see. You got it? We'll move on. The second reason was is that it needed to be accessible to anybody. What, what is that? Here's, here's the deal about Calvary. Here's the deal about an altar. There's never to be shame at the altar. And everybody ought to be able to approach it. That's why Jesus came. He surrendered himself. 
The Bible says he emptied himself to come. It's his example to us. How do I change eternity? By becoming like Jesus. Look in John, the 13th chapter, verse 17, says this. Now that you know these things, God will bless you for doing them. Third thing is a total blessing in your life. Pastor, how do I walk in blessing? To be blessed, I've got to learn to serve. I've got to learn to serve. Now, servanthood is, is exemplified in many, many ways. How many of you have ever worked in the restaurant industry? Anybody ever worked serving tables and waiting? Uh, I never had that privilege. And it's a really a good thing. Because I wouldn't have lasted very long. I mean, I just know, I, I, I mean, I've been, you know, I, I eat in enough restaurants to see how people treat waiters and waitresses. And somebody's going to get a pot of coffee in their lap if I'm waiting on them. It's definitely going to be an accident, and I'm going to go pray for forgiveness when I'm done. Servanthood is not something that's just natural with most of us. And yet, if we really want to change eternity, I mean, think about, think about if Christians really approached the world with a spirit of servanthood. You say, Pastor, when I saw you were going to preach a series of sermons on changing eternity, I thought you were going to give us the four spiritual laws. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And we go through that. I thought you were going to teach us how to lead people down the Roman road. Romans 3, Romans 6, Romans 5. I thought you were going to explain to us the ABCs of salvation. Admit, believe, confess. All those things are wonderful. But if we really want to change eternity, we've got to learn to serve. Jesus exemplified servanthood. Jesus came for one purpose. He could have come with an army. He could have come with ten thousands on ten thousands of angels. I mean, can you imagine the show he could have put on? Can you imagine the splendor of heaven all of a sudden sweeping into earth? I mean, nobody could have denied that. I mean, everybody would be a Christian if that had happened. And yet Jesus came in a manger, born to a carpenter, lived in obscurity in a town called Nazareth that nobody wanted to go to. I mean, all the things in Jesus' life. And then at the end of his life, right before he's going to be crucified, right before he should be thinking only about himself, he kneels down and starts washing dirty feet. Wow. I wonder if Christianity in America lost its arrogance, what we could do. I wonder what would happen if we truly went back to what the Word said, and that is, if you want to be first, be last. If you want to be the leader, be the servant of all. What would happen? You know what I think would happen? I think a revival would break out in America. I think people who have been so turned off to a lot that they've seen on Christian television. And I want to tell you, I'm a Christian, 
and I can't stand most of it. God's not a cosmic slot machine that if I send 50-something dollars or 120-something dollars or 938 dollars that I'm going to have a spit out back into my life of a hundredfold return and you are going to be blessed greatly. Why don't you just go to Vegas and forget it? At least be honest about it. Be honest you're gambling. Pastor, don't you believe in giving so that you can receive? Yeah, the scripture says to. But I also believe in the spirit of humility even has to be involved in that. What would happen, and I close, what would happen if the church came back to a place of looking to bless others? Our life is to bless others. Heaven's perspective was to bless earth. When God looked down, he said, here's what I'm going to do. These are my creations. These are the people that I have created. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to become like them. And I'm going to serve them. And I'm going to love them. And when he did, even hardened sinners and tax collectors stood up and confessed their sins and gave restitution and restoration and got their life right with God. Wouldn't it be wonderful to see a revival sweep America again? And we all say, oh yes, revival. I don't think it's going to come through beating people up about what they already know is messed up in their life. Listen, I'm done. I'm going to mess with you just another moment. I know when I've done wrong. I know when I've sinned. You don't have to tell me. My conscience already tells me. The Holy Spirit convicts me. You don't have to beat me up. But if you'll love on me, if you'll tell me I can make it, if you'll let me know that there's another chance, that there's a God who loves me more than my mess, I'll listen to that. I wonder if revival would sweep America if the church came back to a place of true humility.